Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. I am Britton Boyd, also known as Archaic Honey on Instagram. And I am here with... J. Allen Cross, also known as at Oregon Wood Witch on Instagram. How are you doing, Britton? I'm doing pretty good. You know, before we started recording this, we were talking about uh, imposter accounts on Instagram. And just to be sure, I am at Archaic Honey, one word... That is me. There are so many imposter accounts flying around on Instagram these days because apparently Instagram doesn't really care about imposter accounts anymore. (laughs) Oh, Instagram has decided to fuck all of us. So um, it's like the Wild West right now on witchy social media. And, you know, may the odds be ever in our favor at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Y'all can always reference our discernment episodes that we did a little while back uh, to have some discernment around scammers and whatnot on Instagram because it's been pretty wild, like you said, the Wild West. Yeah, it's been it's been very intense. The, we were talking about the one this morning. Um, someone started someone started an impersonation account of Maria the Arcane from over at Coffee and Cauldrons podcast. Shout out to Robin and Maria. This person just decided not only to make an imposter account, but to build the imposter account on top of the account that they had already started. So it says Maria the Arcane, but they just take out, they just take out the C. So it's Maria the Arcane apparently. And if you scroll down a little while, the, the content suddenly becomes completely different and like not only completely different, but starts showing like a completely different person in the content. So you can see along the line where this person, like specifically where this person just decided to become somebody else. If you just scroll down a little ways and yet people are still falling for it. So I I don't know how to help people sometimes other than just telling them to use the noodle machine, scroll down a little bit, make sure everything is spelled correctly and uh, just hope for the best of them. Right. Right. Yep. Use that noodle machine and do a little scrolling y'all. Yeah. But uh, besides good old Instagram drama, how have you been, Jay? Pretty good. Pretty good. I am just elbow deep in a bunch of different projects um, that I'm hoping are going to be really awesome. I'm pretty sure they're going to be pretty awesome. We'll see. Only time will tell. But uh, yeah, been keeping it busy. And mm-hmm. you, are you are you doing the writing? Are we almost there? What's happening? Oh my gosh, I've kind of put a pause on writing because I had a shop update at my um, online store, uh, bloodmoonbotanica.com, and I've been packing orders for like three or four days straight now. So it's just been order packing land. And I put a pause on my writing for just a few days, but uh, my partner is going to be going hunting for two weeks. And uh, good luck to him. Uh, but, uh, I'm going to use that time to just like do one to 2000 words a day and hopefully get this book done by the end of the month. That's my goal. Brilliant. Yes. Get in there. And that sounds like a perfect time to tackle it too. Like, you know, partner out of town, bringing you home that meat 
and mm-hmm. you have the quiet time, you have the house to yourself. That's that's primo writing time. I like to write yes. while my husband naps. And sometimes I'll force him to take a nap so that I can write. I'm like, you look tired. How about you go into the back for a while? <laughs> it's nap time. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, so that's what's been going on here. All right, so today, the name of the game, our episode, is we're going to be talking about witchcraft and mental health. And this is going to be a, I believe, two-part um, series here where we're going to be talking about sort of this phenomena of people mixing up things like professional mental health and witchcraft and thinking that they are the same thing and they are very much not. Um, mm-hmm. We would like to say at the very top of the show that we are not qualified mental health professionals and you should not be taking mental health advice from us or anyone who is not a mental health professional. And that includes your favorite influencers, even if they say that they can cure you with their crystals. Um, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Um, so we'd like to state very clearly at the top of the show as well, that witchcraft is not a substitute for professional mental health. It just simply is not. And mm-hmm. whenever that is stated, there's always very quickly someone running in and going, well, what if we can't afford mental health care? And that is a very real struggle. And that's something that a lot of people do face. And we do need healthcare reform in pretty much every sense of the word in the United States, um, but especially mental healthcare reform. We need to have more access to it. And it shouldn't be so expensive. There shouldn't be so much red tape um, in order to get it. That being said, just because you do not have access to mental health care does not then mean that witchcraft is suddenly a really great alternative. It's not. Mm -hmm. That's like saying, we have no food, so I'm going to eat all these apple seeds. It's like, no, you will die of cyanide poisoning. Don't do that. (laughs) um, It's not a good idea either way. So we, we understand that access is definitely something that is troubling and something that we need to be fixed. But just because we don't have access doesn't mean that witchcraft suddenly becomes really good for your mental health. Um, so we just want to kind of throw that out there right out of the gate. So, you know, where we stand and what our qualifications are, which is absolutely nothing because we are just simply entertaining, sexy and charming bitches and not doctors. Yes, (laughs) that's right. Yes. (laughs) And we're here to just share our own personal experience, uh, through these struggles, because like I myself have dealt with a lot of mental health struggles. I am bipolar two and ADHD. And, um, yeah, so we have, I have some experience in like managing that on my own, but also like finding those resources for mental health care when you have a lack of resources. Uh, cause I've been uninsured for a majority of my life and have had to work really hard on creating structures for myself and being balanced and careful within my witchcraft practice, because you're walking a really fine line. You're walking the razor's edge with witchcraft and you have to be careful. Yeah. If you are unstable while walking on the razor's edge, you are likely to fall off one side or the other, and that may not go well for you. So it's important Mm -hmm. to understand ourselves, what we're doing and the risks involved with it. And that's kind of why we wanted to do this kind of two part series. And, you know, I myself have struggled with my mental health. I think pretty much everybody at this point has struggled with their mental health, especially over the last year. We have been living through a literal apocalypse for the last couple Mm -hmm. of years now, um, which has definitely been a struggle. 
Um, I myself have struggled my entire life with both anxiety and depression. Um, I'm not on any medications for it, though, to be honest, I probably should at some point or will at some point. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's something that is okay. And I think that's kind of one of the first things that we should tackle here is um, the medication conundrum, because I see this a lot on social media about medication and witchcraft. Can I ask you a personal question? Are, do you take medication for your mental health? I do. Um, I recently became medicated in the fall of last year. So I'm coming up on a year of having um, received and gotten access to medication. So I've been uninsured for a really long time and recently got on um, the Oregon Health Plan, which uh is a blessing. So I, I currently have currently <laughs> no, you know, no telling when it could just, the rug could be pulled out from underneath me, but um, I got access to healthcare and I was starting to have pretty extreme episodes uh, with my mania. Um, it was starting to get to a point where uh, it was very uncomfortable for me and I knew I needed help. So I, you know, that's kind of like one of the first things is like knowing you need help and then going and seeking that help. That's a big mm-hmm. leap to take. So, yeah, I reached out, um, asked friends and whatnot and found a good nurse practitioner who um, you navigated what I wanted, what I didn't want. And, you know, we talked a lot about different types of medication. And so I found something that worked for me. It took some experimentation. But I did find some things that help um, with ADHD and bipolar too. And uh, my life is better for it. And I am very glad that I went down this route to be able to stabilize myself. You know, it might not be something that I do for a really long time. I may at some point experiment with coming off of medication. But for now, this is what works for me. And it is, is saving my life. And I will admit, you know, folks grow and change. And I used to be in the camp of like, I don't need medication because, you know, as a youth, I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of like seven and was immediately put on Ritalin. I was one of those Ritalin babies of the nineties and I hated it. I hated the way it made me feel. So I always had this, um, this like sense that medication just wasn't for me until I got to a point where I was like, this is something I want to try again. So I reached out, found really good resources, did a lot of research and, and did find something that worked for me. And I'm really grateful for it. I love that. That's really great. And I love what you said earlier too, about um, kind of experimenting with the medication at first you need to, because I think what throws a lot of people off is they go to the doctor, they get a prescription, they take it for a little bit, they don't like it. So then they go off of it and then just, and then just say that they hate medication. But a lot of people don't realize that you need to, to monkey with it a little bit. You need to change, you know, maybe some of the dosage, maybe you need to change to a different prescription. It's, it's not something that's going, that you're going to nail it right on the head, right out of the gate. You know, Mm -hmm. you may need to, to, switch it around a little bit and kind of talk with your doctor and make sure that all of your needs are being met and that you're being heard in that department. So, you know, give them time. If it's not working for you, you know, change your dosage, change the medication, talk to your doctor. Um, Don't just necessarily give up on it right away. You know, give it a moment. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it takes time for a medication to become effective. Like one of the medications that I'm on took about a month and a half for me to reach a dosage that was effective for me. Um, And it, you know, it took a while to ramp up to that dosage. So it does take time. And there is that adjustment period where you feel a little weird and your brain chemistry is starting to change. So yeah, it does take time, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And did you feel that going on medication impacted your spiritual life at all? Or if anything, it grounded me. You know, yeah. like it really helped it helped me out a lot. Um, because manic episodes and the 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 roller coaster of bipolar two uh was just wrecking havoc on my life. Um, you know, I would go through these really depressive periods and then ramp up into mania and, you know, being very vulnerable with y'all here on this show. Uh, I was so tired of that, that roller coaster. So I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of lost my train of thought. (laughs) No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, feeling more grounded with medication is going to only help your spirituality, because then you have kind of that discernment ability as well. Once you feel more stable, once you feel grounded, then you're more able to kind of parse out, you know, what is this versus what is that, you know, when it comes to spiritual things. um, It's just to be stable and grounded in your spirituality is so important. And if it takes medication for you to do that, then you absolutely should do that. There is so much stigma right now and I absolutely hate it. And it frosts me so bad whenever I'm on Instagram or some other social media and they're like, oh yeah, you know, if you um, take, you know, medication for your mental health or whatever, it, it closes your third eye or it cuts off your pineal gland or uh, you can't, commune with the spirits anymore or whatever. It's like, that is, that is not true. Um, and please, please, if you ever go see a spiritual healer who is not a doctor and they tell you to go off of your medication, please do not do that because a lot of these medications you really, really, really are not supposed to just stop taking. Um, that's a Mm -hmm. bad deal. If you decide you want to come off of them, that is great. Talk to your doctor. There is a way to do that. That isn't just stopping your medication without warning or a plan of any type. Um, so just just be really wary if anybody tells you that. Um, and it right. will, if anything, I feel it will enhance your spiritual practice to to find that comfortably grounded space if it takes medication. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite ableist um, for someone to say, if you use this crystal, it will heal your trauma and cure your mental health versus like taking a medication if you really need it. You know, I have had friends who have been, you know, suicidally depressed and have had other friends tell them like, oh, you just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You just need to change your perspective. You just need to go drink a glass of water or take a walk or do something fun. No, no, that's not how this works. Like that's not the cure for being suicidally depressed. Like it is a body brain chemistry, multi-layered thing. And if medication can save someone's life, like who are you to tell them that they shouldn't take it? You know, like this really grinds my gears and I'm starting to get a little heated (laughs) because I've witnessed so many people be shamed for deciding to use medication in 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 this context of like being a very spiritual person. 
that somehow um, you're it's a crutch or uh, you're not being true to yourself or, you right. know, you'll just grow out of it. It's not just a phase, you know? Absolutely. Well, and it's so many people don't realize that depression is often a brain chemistry thing where certain chemicals are just not being produced in the way that they're supposed to. So telling a depressed person to just be happy is like telling a diabetic person, like, just produce insulin. Like, that's right. not how it works. Um, we need right. to take medication so that these things are produced in normal levels. Um, and also the, you know, if you just meditate enough, if you just cast the right spells or have the right crystals or whatever, you're going to be healed. Really, really sounds to me like if you just prayed harder you wouldn't be sick. That sounds like evangelical Christianity going, well, if your faith was stronger, you wouldn't be depressed. Or, you know, if you didn't sin as much, you wouldn't be gay or, or, you know, any of these things that they really try and throw at it. It sounds like evangelical Christianity to me. It sounds like puritanical bullshit to me. (laughs) It's a very distinct smell. It's a smell of bullshit. Ugh. Absolutely. So if anyone out there tells you that you cannot be spiritual on your medication, tell them that they suck and run away and or block them. Yes, run away and or block them for sure. So what's interesting, though, because, you know, for those of us who have been in this community for more than the last 10 years, um, we've we've seen a great many shifts in the community, especially recently, and they seem to be happening faster and more frequently. But one of the things that I noticed several years ago that really wasn't there before is the presence of the self-help community suddenly making their way into the witchcraft community. Because let's be honest, we're all looking for ways to market our shit. And Mm -hmm. people will find anything that is going well as a way to market themselves. And right now, witchcraft, spirituality, all of that stuff is trending really intense. Um, I saw somebody post the other day, they're like, no, witchcraft is not actually mainstream. I'm like, okay, there are, (laughs) there are articles in cosmopolitan right now (laughs) about witchcraft. I think we've hit mainstream. Um, Yes. And so people have realized, oh, okay, well, if I put a spirituality spin on this or a witchcraft spin on this, then I can sell it and self-help people, self-help gurus, because, you know, the the entire genre of self-help is about, you know, self-improvement and kind of like reaching your highest potential, which very much falls into sort of manifestation um, kind Mm -hmm. of genre, this new age area, which then spills over into witchcraft. So we've seen rather recently the sort of self-care, um, heal your trauma, all of this stuff suddenly appearing in witchcraft that was not there 15, 20 years ago. Back in the 90s and the early 2000s, no one was healing their trauma. We were casting spells yeah. to get boyfriends and to find our keys because that was back when witchcraft was fun as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, I post a spell. I'm like, this is a spell to find a lost object. And people are commenting like, will this help me find the memories that I lost due to my trauma? And I'm like, whoa, no, <laughs> no, no. Right. Turn that one around. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, have you seen this in the community as an uptick or or have you seen it showing up? I have. Yeah, I've I witnessed a lot of, um, you know, self-help meme accounts through social media 
um, that seem to be interweaving witchcraft and self-help together, which, you know, a spiritual program that we follow can be supportive Mm -hmm. to our mental health. It is not a cure. It can Mm kind of help ground us and whatnot. Um, But I think we need to be pretty careful with that. And yeah, I do see it a lot. And I think what I do notice, and this is perhaps a hot take, is there seems to be, and I was talking with somebody else about this the other day, there seems to be like a level of narcissism flowing into the witchcraft self-help, self-help community, where it's like, if this isn't for my highest good, I will walk away from it. Like ghosting people in relationships and things like that. Love. And quite harm harmful, very self-centered behavior. Mm-hmm. Um you know, self-help doesn't need to look like narcissism or mm-hmm. um, being self-centered and whatnot. So yeah. that's like my criticism of the uh, self-help community weaving its way into witchcraft and spirituality and whatnot is I, I see a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And it's it really grinds my gears because I've I've witnessed a friend of mine fall prey to that and saw how it... Um, I don't want to use this word manifested in their life. And Mm -hmm. it was, it was really sad uh, to witness that uh, kind of infiltrating their, their thought processes and the actions that they took were not like, weren't very good in in my opinion and whatnot. I've seen that too, as well. There's been a major uptick in, Oh, this makes me slightly uncomfortable. Therefore it's evil. Um, yeah, and I want no part in it. And it's like, you know, sometimes the uncomfortable things are actually the things that help us grow. And so I'm seeing a lot of people not growing because they're avoiding anything that makes them uncomfortable, while also reposting all these posts about how much they're ascending and growing while you just kind of watch them shrink into a hole. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. we need to actually engage with the world on a real level. Yes. Um, being in community does not look like being in an echo chamber of people who are always saying yes to you. It looks like perhaps confronting the friend who you may disagree with and coming to an agreement to disagree in a, uh, you know, in a, in a way that like works for both of you without confrontation and whatnot, mm-hmm. or being bitter, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I agree. I agree. There's more avoidance in this community than there is actual real truth um, confronting Mm -hmm. that I think we could use more of. Um, So we're about to get more specifically into kind of the area of witchcraft and mental health. But I think it's important before we do so to kind of understand the scope of the term mental illness. Um, because I think that's something that a lot of the times people don't realize people think of mental illness and they think about, Oh, someone who has a little bit of anxiety, a little depression, you know, but we have to realize that mental illness is a very broad category that doesn't just Mm -hmm. include sweet people with a little bit of anxiety and depression, but it actually goes all the way up to schizophrenia, paranoia, um, things that are much bigger, much harder to contain. Um, and while we need to destigmatize mental illness, I think we also need to remember in this particular arena and conversation 
that mental illness can cause people to be destructive, to be violent, to hurt others. Um, This is why we have things like in murder trials, we have insanity, please, because that also falls under the category of mental illness. And so when people are like, oh, no, like, you know, witchcraft is great for your mental illness, which I hate it when people say that, and not remembering that witchcraft is also a loaded gun. You can kill people with witchcraft. You can destroy people's lives with witchcraft. And if you are going to then be handing this loaded weapon and or making posts or things saying, you know, oh, this is great for your mental health. Come fix your mental health with witchcraft. You aren't just speaking to people who have some anxiety or depression. You're also speaking to people who have other major issues that might be dangerous that you are then telling, handing them a loaded weapon and going here, there's no rules. Do whatever you would like. Um, That's a very scary thing for me when we don't realize Mm -hmm. that mental illness, quote unquote, is so much bigger than just a little bit of anxiety, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I remember back in the day when I was engaging with a closed tradition, I was working with a, an initiate of this tradition And, um, only, you know, I've kind of spoke to about this, uh, spoke about this in the past on this podcast about it. And I went as far as I could go, um, within the tradition, like as, um, a very beginner and whatnot. And I remember I got a reading from, um, the initiate of this tradition and they used that exact same word that you used, a loaded gun. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you need to know yourself. You need to know your passions your character defects before you proceed any further. Mm-hmm. And as I engaged in this tradition, um, I noticed that the spirits of this tradition were exploiting my character defects and my passions, and they were starting to run amok. Mm-hmm. And like that, you know, and it was a witchcraft tradition. So it is really something to think about there with engaging with spirit and engaging in traditions and whatnot and with witchcraft in general, that it can really bring up like the power struggles that we have within ourselves and um, exploit it in a way. It's like the devil card in the tarot, Mm. you know? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And so I think one thing that we've just kind of really forgotten about is the fact that witchcraft can be dangerous. We've gotten so used to, you know, the influencers on social media trying to get more followers. And the best way to get followers is to say, anyone can do this. It's easy. There's nothing that can go wrong. Witchcraft is safe. There are no rules. And so people get really desensitized to it. And they don't understand that there are very real consequences to fucking around with magic. And if you Mm -hmm. aren't a super stable person, that magic can go from a wonderful thing to something that's very scary in just Mm -hmm. a short amount of time so i think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think we need to be very careful when we just throw out this net of people with mental illness come do witchcraft we and not specifying or even warning them i feel like it's kind of mean too because and something we're about to get into in a moment is that there are a lot of things involved in witchcraft that will aggravate your mental illness it is not something that's actually good for your mental illness it's something that can often aggravate um, issues or unground you or, or send you kind of further into a spiral if you are not careful with them. 
And so mm-hmm. I think it's not only is it dangerous for the people around them, but it's also dangerous for the person themselves. And that that's what concerns me when, you know, Instagram influencers or whatever just say like, oh yeah, come do witchcraft and you'll heal your mental health. It's like, no, no. Yeah. Big no. Yeah. And sort of on that note as well, with the healing yourself bit, um, there's a lot on social media, especially where people are like, oh yeah, you know, getting together, healing our trauma, you know, living our best life or whatever. They very much talk about healing your trauma. Like it's something that you did on Tuesday night, you meditated for five minutes and you healed your trauma by yourself. No one helped you, no professional help involved. You just heal your trauma because I mean, it's that easy, right? We just, we just heal our trauma. (laughs) Is that how that happens? Oh yeah, just a snap of my fingers and my trauma is healed. Yep, trauma just... work is a lifelong endeavor. Yes. You know, like for example, like being a sexual assault survivor myself, that's lifelong. Uh-huh. I'm going to carry that with me forever. And, you know, part of that is like my own responsibility of like working to heal that. And I do th- and I have done a lot of work around that. But it's not something that's just like at the snap of my fingers overnight, I'm, I'm like cured. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it requires a lot of mediation, a lot of like inner self work, um, a lot of like working with others as well to heal these parts of myself. So it's not something. Yeah, if anyone is ever just like, yeah, on Tuesday night, we're going to meditate for five minutes and your trauma is healed. Just run away. <laughs> run away. And go find a mental health professional if you can, yes. or read a book. Yeah, trauma is a is a really big beast, and it often requires actual professional guidance to address it and work with it. And this idea that healing your trauma is simple, easy, and everyone else is doing it very easily by themselves is I think a very dangerous precedence to set in the community that like, Oh yeah, well, Tiffany Lightworker up the street healed her trauma last Tuesday. Why can't I? And anyone who's listening to this, please don't feel like that is the road you need to take. It is okay. If Mm -hmm. you struggle with your trauma, it is okay. If you need help. In fact, you probably should be doing it with help qualified help. Um, not just meditating and then being really upset that it didn't all just go away. I, I I think that's a very dangerous illusion to put out there that trauma is just something that you just fix. Ta-da. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a scar. It's scarring on the body that we carry with us forever. And there will always like be a reminder of it and we may get triggered. Yeah. Um, through events that happen in our life and we have to find, ways to learn to like rewire our brain and rewire our responses to trauma and you know like ptsd and whatnot so it is a it's a big beast to tackle and um something that does require mediation and the help of of outside like people outside of you helping you with it and there's nothing wrong with asking for help like asking for help is the first step Um, I, th- I think in this culture of rugged individualism, um, 
we're and especially in American culture, we're really taught to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And that's, that's not how this works. It requires help. It requires community. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if there is anyone out there struggling, like there are groups and communities, you know, for survivors, for folks who have PTSD, if you're recovering from an addiction, um, there are groups and things out there to help you. And you can find solace and support with other people who understand your language, you know? So for example, myself, I'm in recovery from alcohol and drug abuse. We share a common language, myself and other alcoholics. We get it. We get each other. So I can call another alcoholic and be like, this is what my brain is doing right now. And they're like, I get it because I have been there. And having that help (laughs) is so key. And one thing that I have learned is learned how to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And I think having that understanding around you is so helpful, especially kind of in group therapy settings. I always flash back to, um, I I think that was a book I sent you was Pastrix by Nadia Bowles Weber, where -hmm. she's talking about what she called the rowing team, which was her AA group in the basement of a church somewhere. And she was newly sober. And this woman is talking and it's her time to, you know, talk and, Nadia sitting next to her with her leg jumping up and down like a sewing machine. And she's just trying to be like really quiet and sitting there and someone makes a noise and she like jumps out of her skin and like lets out this yelp. And the woman who's talking barely takes a second. It goes, that'll pass. And then, and then it just keeps going like, don't worry, that'll pass anyway. And then just keeps going like, yeah, we've been there. Don't worry. <laughs> like that, that gets better. Yeah. So having people around that understand you, I think is just so important. Um, it, and it truly is. Yeah. And while we're here talking about drama too, I do want to swoop in real quick and talk about shadow work for a moment. <laughs> Cause I really oh, yeah, think we need to talk about it. shadow work. Um, shadow work, shadow work is important. Shadow work is great. Um, but two hot takes here. First hot take is that, Shadow work is really not necessary for witchcraft, and it was never meant to be a part of witchcraft. Um, it's actually a part of Carl Jung psychology um, situation mm-hmm. that is kind of mystic, um, for sure, but that wasn't ever a main pillar of witchcraft. And I do think it goes along well with witchcraft and that people should do it, because like you're talking about kind of knowing yourself, knowing your shadow, um, and witchcraft is really important. I do think that's great. Um, but the second hot take is, is that which is that shadow work was never meant to heal trauma. And I don't know why people think that shadow work is about integrating the shadow or the parts of ourselves that we, um, are not comfortable with or that we reject or that we, um, try not to think about or be, or any of those things. Those are all kind of part of the shadow. Um, these parts Mm -hmm. of ourselves that are ugly and while trauma may somehow fall into that category shadow work is not a method or technique for trauma recovery that's that's Mm -hmm. never what it was meant to be it was about to get to Mm -hmm. know ourselves and integrate our shadow aspects not to heal trauma right yes so i'm gonna quote uh or paraphrase carl young until we make the unconscious conscious it will rule our life and we will call it fate Um, It is about making the unconscious part of ourselves conscious, which can be helpful in a witchcraft practice Mm -hmm. because it is really good to know ourselves and know our character. Um, But yeah, 
I agree with you. It is not a method of healing trauma whatsoever. And I think people have gotten really confused by that, uh, especially through the lens of social media. Mm -hmm. Um, People have become quite confused. And shadow work can be really disorienting um, Mm -hmm. because you are making those unconscious aspects of yourself conscious, which can, it's like, you know, you walk up to a a clear, clean, clear pool of water and you stick your hand in the mud and you swish it all up. To me, that's what shadow work is, mm-hmm. is you're uncovering all of that. And there are hidden gems in the dirt and in the mud, but there's it's going to make the water a little, <laughs> there's lots, lots of muck and you're going to come out covered in it. Yeah. So. Oh, show. So we have... We've we talked so far kind of about some witchcraft adjacent things and witchcraft itself when it comes to this work, but I think there are some very specific things about witchcraft that people don't take into consideration. Um, because again, I see I see on social media a lot. Um, I not that long ago watched somebody post on their social media with their big following this whole thing about how witchcraft is great for your mental health, and then. Over several months, we also watched this person devolve into a psychotic break as well. Um, and that's Ooh. that was very unfortunate to watch. Um, but it definitely does happen because people don't realize, like you were talking about, you do kind of dance along this knife's edge when it comes to witchcraft. And so we're going to talk about some of the things that you need to take into consideration. Um, and the first thing with that is that a lot of witchcraft requires altered states of consciousness. Um, Mm -hmm. And to do that, to go through different states of consciousness is not always going to be the best to keep you grounded and keep you super stable, especially if you're already kind of at a tipping point with it. Um, To go through a bunch of altered states of consciousness is not, is not the way to keep yourself grounded. Mm -hmm. I completely agree because you're getting into trance work uh, walking the hedge, um, et cetera, crossing over and all of that. Um, and yeah, that really requires that you move yourself into an altered state of consciousness, which can be really disorienting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not to mention the spiritual activity that's going on, you know, you're working with spirits and whatnot. So that can really stir up a lot in a person and, uh, is something that should be approached with care and caution. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And you were talking about like hedge crossing too, which is people don't realize that that is such an enormous shift to be able to do that, to go kind of over to this other side, to this other place. Um, And then we also have things like spirit walking too, or astral projection, where we're literally pulling ourselves in and out of our bodies over and over again. Mm -hmm. That's also not a great way to stay grounded. Um, And if you Mm -hmm. aren't already in a stable place doing things like changing your state of consciousness taking yourself in and out of your body crossing over into another world and back um all of these things can be very very disorienting absolutely i agree and then there's the aspect of plant medicine poison plant medicine especially has become very popular Mm -hmm. it seems like folks are are like there's the meme that i see on instagram where it's the person stepping 
they're on a flight of stairs and they're stepping to the highest tier of stairs. Yes. Like that's what I see with poison plant medicine is like, why don't you go work with dandelion in your front yard first and see how that goes? Yes. Because dandelion is pretty fucking powerful. Um, instead of like reaching for the henbane or the belladonna or the monkshood for God's sake, like really, these are, (laughs) these are really powerful, potent plants and they have value. Um, but they can literally cause insanity. Yeah. And, or death Um, and, (laughs) and, or death. Yeah. Let's not forget about that part. (laughs) Um, but you know, and some of these plants too are used in like specific indigenous traditions and like utilizing them in this psychoactive spiritual sense outside of tradition is very dangerous because there's a lot of preparation that goes into using these plants in a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's community support as well. Exactly. So if you're an individual you utilizing a henbane salve to go to the other side. Um, is there anyone there to catch you when you come back mm-hmm. and to help you process? So be very careful. Absolutely. I think that's really important. And you're right. People are just jumping straight over your basic safe, simple plant allies into poison stuff because it's so much cooler and everyone is like an edge Lord right now. Like look at my poison plants, fuck dandelion. Um, And that's so weird because I do have poison plant people coming up to me like, well, you know, this belladonna salve is actually like really great for muscle soreness. And I'm like, yeah, so is this Arnica and I won't die if I use it wrong. Like, you know, like there's things that's like, is like, is that true? Sure. It probably is great for your arthritis or whatever, but is it necessary? That's the question. And something that I've noticed within the community and we're not pointing anybody out and if you think this is about you it's probably not um but there are certain people that i've watched who are very who get very into the poison plants and after a few years you start to see the effects where people start to go a little sideways and Mm -hmm. Then they continue to talk about like, oh, yeah, this is great. There's no effects at all. And you're like, really? Because you're getting weird on me. Um, And even, you know, who we should have on is we should have Anwen back to talk about um, poison plants. Because she was telling me the story once, too, that she decided to harvest, I think it was Datura something, um, barehanded. And she was like, I didn't even think mm-hmm. that just getting it on my skin when harvesting, you know, was a big deal. And she was like, I was messed up for days. Um, mm-hmm. And so we should have her back on to talk about poison plants. Um, but it's, it's definitely something that you see taking effect in people over prolonged use. And right now we're seeing a lot of normalization of it. Everyone is using flying ointments. I even saw the other day, and again, not to call anybody out, um, I saw Datura truffles being sold as like chocolate candies full of toxic plants um, to help you commune with the ancestors. And I'm not sure a, how that's legal and B how it's safe. Allegedly it's going very well for them, but I'm, I'm concerned that it's being normalized to a point that it's in candy now. Yes. They're going to make it illegal if they keep doing that. (laughs) But Good Lord. Yeah. Be really careful with the poison plant and uh, poison plants and 
start off with your simple plant allies that are growing right outside your door. And if you are blessed to discover a poison plant out in the wild, I got to run into monkshood. Um, and I stood back a good couple of feet mm-hmm. to observe them in flower. They were flowering when I found them. They're gorgeous, um, but they'll kill you. They're absolutely beautiful, um, and they will kill you. Uh, okay, here's a quick story from an herbalist teacher um, that I um, was taught under years ago. Uh, he harvests a lot of wild medicine, and he harvests poison plants as well. Well, he had geared up to harvest a bunch of monk's hood, but didn't realize that he had been leaning with the bundle of cut plants. He had been leaning on his leg. He had been like pressing the plants into his leg and the sap seeped through his pants and came in contact with his skin and absorbed into his blood system. And he was paralyzed on the side of a mountain for hours, you know, that sounds like the worst thing ever. It sounds like the worst way to get initiated and by monkshood. Yeah, that's yeah. She will she will get you. Oh God, no, that's not one that you fuck around with at all. Um, wow. Yes, I mean, in a professional. Yeah, you know, like you got to know what you're doing. And I like to what you're talking to about kind of the the community aspect of it as well. A lot of people don't realize that when you do a lot of stuff like, you know, spirit walking or, or kind of astral projection with flying ointments, things like that, um, it's common and a lot of the times necessary, especially when you're working with poisons, to have a watcher, somebody who's there with you, who is not going as well, who just sits and reads a book next to your body while you're gone, and then is there for you when you return. That's just a very good practice to have. Um even if they're not necessarily a witch, though it, it is very helpful if they are a witch in case something goes wrong. Um, but just to have someone around you that kind of knows what's going on, knows what you're doing, that's there to watch, make sure everything is fine, hold the space, um, is is very important, especially when working with poison plant allies. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And two, you were talking about the indigenous medicine thing, and so I want to swim in here really quick and talk about ayahuasca. Um, oh, Oh, ayahuasca. Oh, God. Um, The first thing that a lot of people don't realize when it comes to ayahuasca is that people were never actually intended to take it. At least the people who are the patients were not supposed to take it. Originally, how ayahuasca worked was that the shamans would take it themselves on behalf of the sick person, do the journey, and then come back and tell you what happened. But nobody wants to do that. Everyone wants to take it. And you know, indigenous communities need money. So people will exploit them for that. And then it turned into, oh, I'm doing the ayahuasca um, as medicine, which devolved into I'm doing ayahuasca as an experience, which you should never do. You should never go to an indigenous medicine ceremony for the experience. That's like going to a hospital and taking up a bed because you want to see how sick people live. Like it's, you should go there with a purpose and a reason for being there. And you should follow every step that they give you beforehand, because people don't realize when you go to do ayahuasca, there is a big prep period of like Mm -hmm. a couple to several weeks of things like, you know, um, abstaining from sex and abstaining from things that you put in your body and kind of going through a purification process. And a lot of people skip that because they don't think it's necessary or applies to them. 
Um, but it really does. And it really has an effect on how people experience this. And furthermore, please, 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 please be sure that whoever is administering the ayahuasca ceremony knows what they are doing. Because I see a lot of people go to do the ayahuasca for the experience and come back broken mentally. Yes. And there are places too where people, because a lot of this happens in Latin American countries where brujas are like, yeah, come on, white people come into our ceremony and then you leave without part of your soul. And it can be very, very scary. People just coming back from their experience, just dead eyed or completely, just completely different. It does happen. This is powerful, powerful medicine that needs to be taken seriously. It is not an experience. It's not something you do at a festival. It's not like LSD. It is, it is some real shit. It really is a very good friend of mine studied Amazonian shamanism for their um, masters and frequently went to ayahuasca ceremonies in South America and they told me the stories of, and they worked directly with an indigenous shaman and, and studied with them and whatnot and told me about the type of people that are attracted to these ayahuasca ceremonies. And they're, I mean, I heard more bad story than I heard good story mm-hmm. um, of like, yeah, people snatching souls, people feeding off of other people and whatnot. Um, yeah. Be really careful and, you know, there are, like, ayahuasca resorts now. Yes. And things, like, it's, it's become... This, I know, like, it's become this whole, like, uh, retreat, uh, resort experience. And I don't think that's how it's supposed to work. It's not. And let me just say, if you are a person who has attended an ayahuasca resort, you do not get to say shit about colonization and how much you hate it. And that's all I'm going to say on that topic right now. Uh, Moving on, along with the dangers of witchcraft um, and having unstable mental health, we also have um, a lot of things that kind of get normalized. And this is, I'm kind of going to wrap up our, our last kind of three on this list in one, is that when it comes to witchcraft, we normalize um, a great deal of belief in um, invisible external forces that are, you know, are playing a part or interacting with us in our life, which is true. I do very much think that that is happening. But when you are on or when you are not currently grounded in your mental health and you're a bit unstable or, you know, kind of listing one way or the other, to add in this idea of, Yes, there are invisible things around you that are, um, you know, exerting some force on your life. And I, I think that makes it so much harder to parse out what is real and what's kind of in your head. There's kind of this belief factor like, oh, um, you hear voices. Well, maybe that's just the spirits talking to you. Maybe you're psychic or mm-hmm. um like the other day I saw um, somebody post in one of these paranormal groups I'm in on Facebook that they're like, yeah, my kid woke up in the middle of the night and said there was a monster in their room. So I went and I got my stage and my Palo Santo and all of my, my crystals and I told it to leave and all this stuff. And I'm like, number one way to really freak out your kid. 
Like, uh, I'm like, and number two, did you, did we talk to the child? Was this a monster that was from a cartoon that they watched earlier? Like I'm seeing very ungrounded approaches to things um, kind of happening out there with this idea of believing in these external invisible forces. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people not be able to differentiate where hmm, maybe I'm getting into unstable territory with, yes, all of this is real. And so I think it really blurs Mm -hmm. the lines there. And that concerns me a little bit. Yes, it can be very line blurring, um, for sure. Like, you know, I've had some moments. uh, There was this house I lived in, in Portland. There was this dark, masculine energy in the house that always felt like it was coming from behind me and just lashing out at me. And I felt I for the longest time, I was so confused. I was like, is this me? Or is this really an entity in my house? And I couldn't quite parse it out because I was like new and exploring and trying to figure things out. And I had unaddressed mental health issues and and all sorts of things. It is an area where lines can get blurred. And it's really good to to get, you know, going back to like our foundational witchcraft episode, Uh, where we talk about foundational practices. This is why we stress foundational practices and why there are like rules in witchcraft Um, because we need this firm grounding to stand upon to be able to differentiate between is this a spirit or is this me? In fact, doing daily foundational practices will really help us like figure that out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I think it's important too that you brought up too, being new and not knowing kind of what's going on. And right now, what we're seeing kind of coming down here into our topic of kind of community factors that we're seeing that are apart from the actual practice itself, but being part of the witchcraft community, is there's this normalization of spiritual awakenings, mimicking a psychotic break, and then being like, oh, yeah, you know, you... um, you get really terrified and start seeing things and hearing things. And then you lose all of your friends and you can't stop crying. That's just you awakening to your spiritual path. And it's like, sure. Sometimes, you know, when you do have your spiritual awakening, it does come at you pretty hard, but I don't like the normalization of like, Oh yeah. If you think you're having a psychotic break, you're probably just having a spiritual awakening. And I'm like, or you might also be having a psychotic break and you need to seek out real professional help for that. And I, I think we need to be careful of just normalizing. Oh yeah. If you think that you're having an episode, it's just your spiritual powers coming in. Um, that concerns mm-hmm. me. Yes. That is very concerning. Um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then we also have like the normalization of things like trauma behaviors as being like, um, like, oh, you're an empath. Like, uh, everyone's an empath. <laughs> everyone. I have the basic human ability of empathy, which simply just means that you're not likely to be a serial killer. Um, therefore, I am a gifted psychic. And that's it's not how that works always. So I, I think that we are in some dangerous territory of just kind of normalizing these these things of, you know, psychotic breaks or, or trauma behavior as just spiritual things. I just, it just, it concerns me a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, y'all, this was a spicy episode. And if you're struggling out there, be sure to reach out and ask for help uh, from your community and from a mental health professional. 
And um, most places do have a free resource uh, for counseling and for help. Uh, I know I live in a very rural place, um, but we do have a center here that helps folks um, navigate through troubles, addiction, etc. And um, just do take the leap and do some research and like find what free resources are available to you if access is um, limited to you because I have absolutely been there. It, it can be really hard to find access. It can also be really scary to reach out. Mm-hmm. Um, so be sure to um, to try to reach out if you're struggling. Absolutely. Especially if you are a victim of domestic violence, sexual assault, any of these things, there are resources, free resources for you. Um, please do reach out. Please do use them because that is what they are there for. And people are ready to help and willing to help. Um, and also, if you feel mm-hmm. like you may need to go on medication, please speak to your doctor and know that that is not something that is going to you know, impede your spiritual development. You are still a spiritual person. And if anything, it may help your spiritual path to get on the right medication. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, y'all. Stay safe and... Do witchcraft safely and stably. Yes, and remember it's dangerous. Bye, y'all. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.